What, uh, what are you doing here? Maybe a little bit of a rude way to uh, phrase the question, right? But uh, this, this question of wh- why are, are you here? And that could be why are you here this particular day on this 10th anniversary? It could be wh- why are you at church? If you're a regular attender member at Fountain Square Prez, you know, why, why here? Why worship at all? Um, th- these are questions that we could give a lot of answers to. And a lot of the answers would be good answers. There's some bad ones, too, but they, they, might, be, they might be good ones. What, one that uh, I think is hard to beat, uh, last week Stephanie was going around with a camera asking kids uh, why they come to church, and one of the answers, Lila Pogue said, to celebrate Jesus, which is a pretty phenomenal answer. It's a, it's a hard one to beat, right? To celebrate Jesus. Because we could, we could say a lot of things that are good and right and true. In fact, the one that comes to mind the most over last night and even this morning to, to think about is this idea of, of community and celebrating community. Which I'm super thankful for this community, right? But that should be always secondary or flowing from celebrating Jesus. And if it's community just for the sake of community, it's actually missing the most significant thing. It's why we are a church, actually. It's why we gather here. And so as we are in our series looking at the Apostles' Creed and taking each phrase uh, at a time, one at a time, we're, we're now this morning at Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That's what we're looking at. And, and those are our three points. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Those are the three points of the sermon. We're, we're going through the Apostles' Creed. We're taking scripture and looking at this, this creed that we've used for most of the 10 years. We've used other things, but this is the one we've used the most. What is it that we believe? Why do we say these things? And we're here focused on Jesus. This is the beginning of this long passage in the creed about Jesus. The biggest chunk of the creed is focused on Jesus. Jesus being central, you know, the, the classic Jesus is the answer, whatever the question is in Sunday school, right? So the Sunday school teacher asks, what's the kids? What's brown and bushy and has a long tail? And one of the kids says, ah, well, it, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus, right? <laughs> and, uh, and often it is. Often Jesus is the answer. But we, even in the church, we look to so many other good things, like community, right? And we make them the priority. We, we talked in Sunday school this morning about our tendency to take even good things, right things, beautiful things that God created and wants for us, and to make those the most important things. Uh, the scripture calls that idolatry. And, and uh, John Calvin says that our hearts are idol factories. We just crank out different things to, to put first, right? They become our gods, whether we think about it or not. Uh, Tim Keller refers to them as functional gods, those things that drive us, right? And often there are things other than Jesus, and so we're reminded to come back to Jesus. There's a, a story that I saw, a guy named Richard Griffin, who was the, the royal protector to the queen for many years, the, the royal police officer for 14 years, just meant that he was like her bodyguard and with her a lot. And somebody asked him a story about her wit, and he tells about going on picnics outside of Balmoral, which was her, her like, vacation home. Uh, outside in Scotland, I'm going to get some of the details wrong, right? And uh, uh, our Brett can correct me later. But uh, 
she's, she's out on this picnic, and they don't run into people most of the time, but they run into this, this, these hikers, and it's this American couple. And immediately it becomes clear they don't recognize the queen. And so they just they start to talk and like tell their story, where they've been and where they're going and those sort of things. And they say, oh, wh what about you? Where do you live? And she says, well, I live in London, uh, but I have a vacation home here. And they say, oh, how long have you been coming? Well, I've been coming since I was a little girl, so for about 80 years. And they say, oh, you've been coming that long. You must have met the queen. And, uh, and she says, well, I haven't, but Richard here meets him regularly. <laughs> Uh, and so they're like, oh, and he says the next thing he knows, the guy puts his arm around him and hands his camera to the queen and says, here, take a picture. And, uh, and so they, they take the picture, and then he says he takes the camera and he gets a picture of them with the queen. And they're just like, she says, I wish I could be a fly on the wall when they show their pictures to somebody and, and, and they figure out who I am, right? Um, and it's a hilarious story, and he tells it way better than I. You can find it uh, on the interwebs, I'm sure. And, uh, and, but it's, 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 it reminds me of the fact that we, we often take something that's good and connected to Jesus, uh, and, and maybe it's just something that he created, and, and we focus on it, and we miss him as, as a result. And our, our invitation is to be reminded not that those things are wrong, not that those things aren't part of our life regularly, and not even things that we sh shouldn't seek at different times, but it all needs to come in light of Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Let me pray. Uh, we'll take a look at each of these points. Lord, may we meet you this morning, and not just this morning on our 10th anniversary, but each and every Sunday and then each and every day of the week. May we meet Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. May you do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus Christ. There's meaning in the names here. And it's Jesus Christ, these words, names, don't occur here in verses 13 through 20. But it's very clear that in verses 3 and 4, there is a reference to Jesus Christ. That this is who we're talking about here. Jesus is the one who saves. It was Joshua in the Old Testament, but it's he who saves. There's a recognition of a need for salvation. The people of God always need a Savior. All of us need a Savior. We think about all of the brokenness and mess that we experience in our lives. And, and, and some of this has been referenced even in our prayers this morning or in testimonies of the struggles that we just have as people, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. We, we know that we need something outside of ourselves to fix what is not right. And we turn to all kinds of things to, to see salvation, to see freedom, to see hope come in our lives. And, and what we're presented with here in Colossians and throughout Scripture is that there's only one real answer for that, and it's he who saves the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah is what this means. He's anointed for a particular purpose, and we see that purpose here even in Colossians 1, the, his death on the cross that brings about forgiveness that was proclaimed earlier from 1 Peter that this reality that forgiveness of sins comes through the cross of Christ, that we can't accomplish it uh, ourselves. Jesus is the one who saves. He delivers. Verses 13 to 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And the domain of darkness is this experience. We, we all know it. 
Right? It all comes to us in, in the midst of the fall. We look around the world. We experience our own lives. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And there is a promise here of deliverance from that darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that comes through the work of Christ. Into the kingdom of his beloved son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, verse 14. This recognition that part of the fact that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, that they're a mess, we're part of that problem. We're part of the mess. Our own hearts that create these idols. Our own hearts that turn to other things. Our own hearts that are selfish and treat other people poorly ultimately that rebel against our God. We're freed from that. We're ultimately freed from that in a way that gives us hope for the future because Jesus is described in verse 18 as the firstborn from the dead. It's a reference to the fact that he rises from the dead, that actual physical resurrection happens. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15 and other places that that promise is also for us, that we ourselves will rise from the dead. And we've talked about our beloved friends and members who have gone on to be with the Lord. And sometimes we use that just to avoid saying hard words like they they died. But to be with the Lord is this incredible promise that comes from the one who is the firstborn from the dead, the one who rose from the dead himself and promises that for us. So that that is not just an empty phrase to avoid saying the hard thing. It is also an amazing promise of what Jesus accomplishes when he saves us and forgives us of our sin and brings us into his family. We we might turn to other things seeking salvation. And yet the, the promise again and again is that all of those things will fail us, whether it's money or success or relationships or reputation or leaving our mark on the world. Uh, or the good thing, all many of these good things, right? But when those things become our end, when we turn to those for ultimate and real hope, they're going to let us down, whether it's in loss or it's in old age or it's in death itself. Those will let us down. But even the good things of the church, the community that we've talked about, or the, the morals that we might get here, that idea of, you know, just getting to heaven, those being reasons to come to church, right? If those are our focus and our goal, those things are going to, to let us down. It's only in him, and so we're called to trust in him and to look to him and just be reminded of his work, of who he is as the one who saves, as the one anointed to the cross so that we might be forgiven of our sins and brought into his family. He is the son, his only son. His only son. He is a part of the Trinity. We talked about this last week. This theme that runs throughout Scripture and the Creed is that, that God exists as a Trinity in perfect relationship. And Jesus is his only son. It, we find that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 19. The fullness of God is in him. A couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that God The Father was the maker, is the maker of heaven and earth. And Jesus is described in that same role. The second person of the Trinity here described in verse 16 as the one. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for him. And this is a remarkable statement. 
that all things were created by Jesus Christ. That, that he shares in the Trinity in the way that he is also a part of being the maker of heaven and earth. And that as a result, he is the center of all things. And so as we look at creation, we look at what he's created, that thing which we might be tempted to worship our, our, ourselves. And we might not call it that, but we might be tempted to make it the most important thing. Good things that he created. We're told that as we look at those things, that actually they declare his Glory. They point to him. They point to the creator. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. That's true of all of creation, in fact. And so as we celebrate the things this, this, this day, these 10 years, all of the good things that we experience, they all point to him. That we might celebrate him and rejoice in the work that he's done. That we might fix our eyes on him. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus as the one who created all things. This is probably not a surprise when, uh, you, to, to learn that when I went to camp, I was, must have been 11 or 12 years old, um, I was quite the gymnast. Not a surprise, right? Uh, and by gymnast, you know, it was kind of some tumbling. And, and when I say quite the, the gymnast, like I thought I enjoyed it and might be good at it. Uh, and maybe if I compared myself to the other, like, six people in my cabin, I was doing all right. It's a pretty small sample. But um, it didn't work out for me. I mean, I had dreams of really pursuing being a gymnast at one point. Uh, yeah. Not, I mean, now, I mean, this has gotten worse over time. But, like, now I, uh, I, I get dizzy, you know, riding in a car. Uh, motion sickness. Uh, the, uh, like, the spins and the tumbles and not going to happen, right? So I only speak from having heard uh, that a, a gymnast or an ice skater who does spins, right? Like the way to not get dizzy is to, they, they, they pick a fixed point and as they spin, they look at the point and then they, they whip their head around and they look at that again. Again, just hearing this, I've not been able to accomplish that. But uh, this idea that you, that you stay stable and not dizzy by, by focusing on a fixed point here we have that fixed point. The one, the, the second person of the Trinity, God's son, by whom all things were created. All of them. In heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions. I mean, all of the powerful things, all of the big things. And so he's the center to focus on. And he's then offered to us here as a person, revealed, walking on this earth, and that he's now offered to us that we might be united to him. I mean, this is, this is on some level heady and some level spiritual and some level mysterious. But that's the promise continually of scripture that he is the one that is offered. He is the God who works. And he claimed himself uh, Godhead. We, we remember in Matthew chapter 9 when the paralytic's friends bring him to Jesus and they, they know that he can heal him, and so they cut a hole in the roof. The crowd's so big, and they lower him down. And Jesus says, the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. And I'm, I'm guessing that the friends are like, ah, that's not what we're looking for. But, um, but then the, the religious leaders are like, he, this, the blasphemy, because they knew that the only person who could forgive sins was God. And it says, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, because he's God, said to them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to, to heal this man and to show that I have that power, that I am God, 
rise, take up your mat, and, and go. He, he is very clearly claiming to be a part of the Trinity, the Godhead, the one who reigns and rules all things created by him, through him, for him. This is, these are amazing promises. And then here's the beauty, if we remember the, the fact that because he's the son, God is the father, he's relational. We'll get to the spirit later in the creed. But we know that because God has always existed as the Trinity, he's always existed and relational. He is by very foundation, by very function, by very existence, he is relational. And he brings that to us and he offers us relationship with him. And we are invited to be children of God. We sang that already this morning that we are a child of God. We're invited to be and to share with Jesus in that family. And it's a part of him being a son to a father. And we're invited into that. And he is, as a result, our Lord. The Lord, the creator of all creation. Just by by nature of him being the creator, he puts himself in that position, right? It's just de facto. But not only the creator, the sustainer. In verse 17, and he is before all things. This Again, this just big, heady picture of him existing before creation. He's before all things. This is part of him as the creator. And in him, all things hold together. So he is reigning and ruling now. So we're, we get to some of that in the creed later as he's ascended and sit the, sit the right, sits at the right hand of the Father. But, but he holds all things together. He sustains this world in which we live. He is, again, just by nature, the, the Lord. And, and we might turn to other alternatives as, as Lord, as, as the thing that might direct us, the thing that might drive us as, as our end. But those are all created things. And here is the creator himself offering himself as Lord in relationship. So not just as this distant Lord, but as the one who is relational. Our tendency, though, is to, to turn away from him. And to Romans 1 tells us, exchange the glory of, of the creator for, for the creation, to worship the creation instead. And that would be a mistake to not recognize who he actually is and who he offers himself to be. And so as we confess this each week, it's, okay, we say these words of truth, but do, do we live in light of it? Do we actually live as though he is Lord? Do we recognize him as Lord over every single area of our lives as, as individuals, as families, as, as a church, as a, as a group? Is this something that, that drives us? Um, there were some uh, jokes made about uh, illustrations that I reused in the past. And this is one, but wasn't mentioned last night. So I'm going to use it again <laughs> to mention it next time. Uh, so some of you have, some of the newer folks might not have heard uh, this story that uh, 23 years ago, Steph and I, a little over 23 years ago now, we got married. And uh, it was awesome. Uh, a lot of family and friends around. We loved both the pastors that were part of the service. Our, you know, we had great groomsmen and bridesmaids and we celebrated, we took vows, we made these commitments and uh, and it was a great celebration. Um, it's fun to think about as my oldest is moving toward a wedding ceremony herself with vows to be taken. Uh, but a few weeks later, I, I went on a date with another friend of mine, went out to dinner, and, uh, and, and not soon after, not surprisingly, I had some friends come and say, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, I mean, everything's fine. Like, I took my vows. So she's my wife. It's fine. I'm just, this is like, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't do that. 
I didn't go on any dates with other people after I got married, right? Because the relationship that I'm in with Stephanie affects all the decisions that I make, including the fact that I choose not to go on dates with other people. I mean, that seems like, of course. But, but it also affects the way that I spend my money and my time and where we live and jobs. And it affects everything, my relationship with her, in good and, and beautiful ways. Right? I, I, I love that about and any relationship that we're in. It affects the decisions that we're made. And what we're invited into here is if he really is the Lord, if he really is just uh, objectively speaking the creator who reigns and rules and sustains the world, then, then of course we would live our lives in light of the things that he would call us into. Even when they're difficult. And sometimes they're, I mean, they're, they're difficult because we're the rebellious creatures and he's not, right? It's just... It's just by nature of the fall that we're going to turn in the wrong direction and we need to be corrected and be willing to step into that correction. And for our good and right and beautiful ways, our tendency, though, is to turn to other things that maybe are more comfortable. And most of all, that's ourselves. And of course, that's where our culture is, right? Be true to your, follow your heart. I mean, if somebody in a commencement speech says, follow your heart, I mean, who's going to say, ah? I think we should say, I, I don't know. Our hearts are deceptive. They're going to steer us in the wrong direction. And when we make ourselves essentially our own gods, when we decide what's right uh, and wrong, then we become, this is a great quote from David Foster Wallace. He says, we become not a Christian, great commencement speech, used it before, but not this particular line. Um, he says that we become Lords of our tiny skull-sized kingdoms alone at the center of all creation. That's where following your own broken heart leads you. Lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms alone at the center of creation. We're invited in to submit ourselves to the Lord of all of creation, all things, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of real majestic creation, that Lord invites us to submit ourselves to him. And he invites us into relationship with him. And praise God that he invites us to do that together. He doesn't leave. It's not just Yes, it happens on an individual level, but it happens together. So as we're celebrating Jesus and his work over the last 10 years, yes, we are absolutely celebrating it here as, as a part of this church because that's where he's given us to experience it. Now, he doesn't need Fountain Square Presbyterian Church, and the gospel and his kingdom would, would move on if this church were to fall apart today. I pray that doesn't happen. I pray we have many more years to come. But this is where he's chosen for us to experience it. All these big, majestic pictures of Jesus, they lead us to verse 18, and it doesn't go where I would think it would go. The same thing happened, I don't know if you remember, like six weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, but here's, here's what it says. He's, in verse 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he's going in all these big directions, and then he's the head of it. You're, you're picturing something big and huge, and huge, and it's the church. Right? Isn't the church just kind of this thing that helps me every once in a while? Maybe it's just that community. No, the, the church is central. 
us experiencing him is something we do together as his people. We experience him in his people, the body of Christ. That is a way in which we as the people of God represent Jesus to one another. That's beautiful and hope-giving that we actually experience him as the people together. We need each other. We can't do this without him. It, it is a failure to recognize him as Lord if we don't connect to his church. And it doesn't have to be this particular church, but this is one place, one of many places around the world where we do experience him and we do need to experience him together as his people in a, a church. And it is beautiful. And I celebrate that we've been able to do that together. That is his work. That is his lordship. And we get to be a part of it. What a blessing. I'm so thankful for the ways in which he's worked. And it's his work. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, is the one that we celebrate this morning. And I hope tomorrow morning and next Sunday and every Sunday, it, it is ultimately the opportunity to be a part of his people, to experience him, relationship with him, forgiveness of our sins, the salvation that we need because of what he has accomplished.